Hello, everyone. This is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Wednesday, April 1st, 2020. Uh, today is going to be a fun podcast. It's yet another podcast I've been doing that's kind of been exploring kind of an interesting angle from the work from home angle that I think everybody's going through right now um, with the uh, coronavirus situation. And hopefully we'll be through Knockwood by the end of uh, April with a little bit of luck. Um, but I want to talk about a topic that I think has become, it's probably hit home with a lot of uh, parents and that children obviously now are um, staying home with their parents over the, uh, during this period. And I want to take on the tackling uh, the topic of learning and really the distance teaching topic, which is a very sophisticated way of saying, you know, how do you uh, teach children in an effective way and get them a, um, a productive and efficient and comprehensive education using online tools. And on today's podcast, I've got a couple of gentlemen who I think will be able to uh, add a lot of color to that particular topic. And that's Scott Wharton, who is the VP and general manager of Logitech's video collaboration business. Scott, say hello to the audience. Hey, audience. How are you? <laughs> His microphone does work. We checked that before. And probably the man of the hour is uh, Shane Durkin. Uh, Shane is a teacher in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, has been utilizing uh, video collaboration tools for uh, teaching children for some time. So I'd like to welcome Shane to the, to the podcast. Thank you, really excited to be here. So Shane, let's, let's start off with you for a second because you are the man of the hour. We're probably, we're probably getting a little bit of products and technology here. Is that, um, as we were talking before the, the, the podcast recording began, is that this is not a new topic. I mean, while certainly it's, it's now front line and center because of the, uh, the, the pandemic situation and people are staying at home, there has been an ongoing trend in terms of, how, you know, how do you use these wonderful technology tools to help children learn at home when they can't get to, to cl the classroom for whatever reason, they might be overcrowding in the class. There might, you want to be able to do things in a more personalized and customized way. So let's talk a little bit about that before we jump into the, um, to the situation we're in right now and, you know, how you got involved with this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I got an education about 12 years ago. Um, and I think that's when the term blending learning really started to kind of pop up. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea is just how do we use the technology that other industries are using in education to help better outcomes for our students? Um, so you're, you saw a lot of districts move more one-to-one, -one, uh, meaning every student has some laptop, Chromebook, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you really saw them bring it into the classroom during maybe like 20 minutes of the classroom, uh, accessing some app, some website to supplement the learning that was going on in class. Um, and that has slowly evolved into more at-home um, technologies to, to reach the students. So you're seeing, you know, Khan Academy, you're seeing fiveable different websites that are, are supplementing learning at home uh, outside of the classroom. So it's been a now, real treat, yeah. Now, it, it, now it, I, and I'm not a parent, so, uh, and Scott, I don't know if you're a parent, but uh, the question I'd ask to both of you guys, assuming you are parents, or at least I know Shane works with, works with a lot of parents, is that is there some type of kind of inherent um, prejudice against online learning, meaning that, oh, you know, I, I think my child can get a, better, get a much more productive learning experience in a classroom. We'll talk about the interaction with other students in a second. That's certainly one of the topics I want to hit. But is there some type of um, pushback sometimes you get from parents in that, hey, you know, yeah, technology is great, but I really want that traditional educational experience for my kids? Well, certainly I think there's a pushback in a bunch of ways. One is I think learning in the in the way we do it in the U.S. is it's the same way we've done it for almost 150 years. It's mm -hmm. you have a farm and a teacher 
and a set of students, and that's the only way of doing it. And I think people just inherently think that you can't do it in a way that is uh, more online and more scalable. One example for me, uh, about five years ago, um, I was an entrepreneur and I had a company that I sold. And uh, I took my kids out of school with my wife and we went backpacking around the world for a year. And I remember when we told the school um, that we were planning on homeschooling them for a year remotely, they, they looked at us like, what are you kidding me? Like, how is that possibly <laughs> going to work? So uh, I think I had a real personal example where, uh, you know, both, both in telling people and getting their experience, but also having to figure out on my own as a parent with the boys at the time were 10 and 13, how do you use online tools and things like iPads and uh, online learning and flip classrooms is the ability to, to do to do learning as opposed to only doing it the traditional way of having people have their their kids sit down in a, in a chair with a teacher. Mm -hmm. Shane, what can you add to that? Uh, yeah, I think there definitely has been pushback. The, the families want that that personal relationship with the teacher. They want that kind of expertise that they can physically see. Mm -hmm. um, I, I will say with the bringing in technology, we are seeing a little bit of a divide between, you know, people of higher economic social status and lower economic social status. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that hopefully technology can bridge the gap. Um, right now, we're seeing uh, parents of higher economic status really embrace it um, and right. really like monitor their kids doing it while, while families of lower economic status, you know, are either working or you know, watching two or three other children, and it's just a little bit more difficult for them to, to have their student really focus and engage on the online learning. But, but the interesting thing is that the cost of ownership of this technology has come down dramatically. I mean, with Chromebooks, of course, um, you know, Logitech, I think, has played a very strong role in terms of trying to democratize uh, you know, collaboration tools and video technology. I mean, there's a lot of good companies out there with, with um, terrific video conferencing products, but Logitech has obviously been there since day one. I mean, they kind of been, I wouldn't say they invented the webcam, but they pretty much, you know, they, they were there at you know, day one in terms of bringing that technology to the market. So the, the cost, you know, equation, maybe this is a question for you, Scott, has really changed dramatically. It's not to say that there is no, there is no divide between those two groups that Shane talked about, but from a cost standpoint, it's become much more economical, frankly. And the technology is thrilling, by the way. I mean, it's not a bad experience. I mean, you really get terrific um, quality and, and, uh, it's really an immersive experience in most cases. Yeah, I would say that the cost is certainly something where the cost has come down and now it's democratized where we see people all around the world using the technology. I think part of it, quite frankly, is also just the quality. Up until very recently, you know, the bandwidth at home that you needed wasn't good enough or reliable enough to have a sustained um, class experience. But I think, I think what we're seeing is that there were trends moving in this direction, but this crisis has probably accelerated the trend five or 10 years ahead mm -hmm. of time where I think yeah. the issue was less technology or tools. It was more cultural. It's kind of the point you brought up earlier, Mark, where people say, mm -hmm. well, I know I can do it, but should I do it? Do I want to do it? And now that we're forced to do it, I think people are saying, you know, it actually kind of works. Like I was talking to my son earlier. I've got, now my boys are 16 and 19. I've got a son upstairs and he's doing his remote learning. And he was saying, you know, it's actually pretty good. I kind of mm -hmm. like it. And, yes. uh, and I think it's opened up some of the questions about, um, as kids transition out of, let's say, uh, primary school and go into secondary school, he's going, well, maybe, maybe people should want to do this for college. And mm -hmm. maybe, Shane, as you said, maybe it will open up opportunities where not everyone can afford to go to a full-time college and be on site where they can do maybe a higher quality, lower cost experience that may be online. So I think it's opening up people's minds to things they didn't think were possible.
Now, now one topic we, we should address for the sake of the children is the, the reception. You kind of hinted at it, Scott, in terms of, you know, how, what, what are the reactions of children? You know, and I, I'm sure that it, the reaction changes depending on their age and depending on what grade they're in and that kind of thing. But Shane, in your experience, I mean, uh, has there been a receptiveness you know, uh, from a student standpoint, uh, does it vary again from, you know, from, uh, from le grade level to grade level? Give us some perspective on that. Yeah, I think it definitely varies from grade level to grade level. My sister is a second grade teacher in Southern California, and she is doing a full on Zoom hour with her families and her kids. Uh, mm -hmm. so she's getting 32 kids on at one time with their families and doing activities. At the high school level, I think you're seeing a little bit more flexibility, which Scott talked about. Um, mm -hmm. I'm seeing students do the assignments at 10 at night or, you know, 12 in the afternoon, which is when we wouldn't meet traditionally if, if they were in like, let's say my first period class. Um, so the, the engagement for a lot of my students is, is higher in a way that is different from when we're sitting in a classroom, um, sure. particularly, especially in the morning, right? Those 8 a.m. classes are really tough for my students to get. Um, and so when they're at home, they can kind of choose how they want to pace their day. Now, do you find uh, with, with, you know, that you were referencing, you know, lower income strata groups that uh, may ha not have the access to technology that um, upper income groups have, uh, do you find that that really, it, it's not so much a hardware thing, but it might be a bandwidth issue that, you know, typically, you know, when you're, again, I'm just throwing out some comments, I would imagine people at a, there's probably a correlation between the higher your income is, the, you know, the, the, the bigger your bandwidth pipe. Is, I'm sure there's a correlation between the two. And while the tools have become much more efficient, uh, tools like Zoom are, are terrific in video compression and you, know, you don't need a tremendous amount of bandwidth, but do you find that that's a limiting factor? Uh, that, hey, you know, you, you know the, the, this person um, lives in a home that just doesn't have the technology infrastructure to have a good experience? Yeah, I would say most of my students, probably around like 90% have some sort of smartphone or tablet or Chromebook at home. Mm -hmm. um, the bandwidth is definitely an issue. And especially if there are multiple siblings at home, they might only have one Chromebook. So one of them can do homework at a time. Um, I would say most of them have smartphones. So I'm, I'm really happy to see a lot of our education platforms move to a smartphone, smartphone um, way to access it. Like College Board is doing their AP exams. You can access it by uh, smartphone now. So I think right. as we move closer to smartphone technology and really make that accessible, that, that barrier will drop. Now that, I think now the smartphone it. is good, Go but, it, but it's also, I think it, if you want to see everyone in a class, it probably limits people yeah. on a smartphone. You just can't see people. I, I know also that my, uh, my brother, he's got he's my, my nieces, they're, uh, they're in a, they're in a, a school district in upstate New York with, where some people don't have the means to buy things. So they're giving the kids free Chromebooks. It mm -hmm. obviously doesn't doesn't impact the uh, the bandwidth, which I think you're right, Mark. But I think a lot I've seen a lot of schools now giving people out Chromebooks or tablets or something yeah. where they can learn, which is critical. You can't obviously do it without that. But you know, Scott, you just made a comment that was it was uh, was on my mind as you were talking, and that is, um, can you really have um, a? Th and I I guess the answer is staring me in the in the face. But can you really have a productive you know distance home educational experience using a smartphone? I mean, I guess if you have nothing else, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a good tool. But don't you really have, from a real estate standpoint, have to have either, you know, a, a, let's call it a 12 or 11-inch tablet, a 13-inch display? I mean, do you, what, what are the guidelines for the most – are there guidelines in place, frankly, that you recommend? Here's the kind of the, the minimal configuration some, a student should have to have a really productive experience at home. 
I think it depends on whether if you're only seeing the teacher, then you could probably do that on the smartphone. But if you talked about having that interactive experience where you want to look at your classmates mm -hmm. and be able to see their reaction and see what's going on, I mean, by definition, you probably just need a bigger screen. Right. So you can, so you can see more people on the screen. So it, it's possible, but I think you're, you're losing something from the experience of not being in the class and then it hurts you more. Yes. Still doable though. Well, so let's talk about that a bit because there will be people watching this podcast that, you know, don't have, uh, you know, uh, their children go to school. They don't have a, um, they're not, uh, they're not uh, familiar with the, uh, the uh, distance teaching model. Shane, walk us through how that typically works, for, you know, you know, from a engagement standpoint, the number of students in the classroom, the interaction between other students, because I think that's an important topic. But let's just kind of break this out into pieces in terms of how this typically plays out. In an online platform? Yeah, an online platform, exactly. Yeah, um, so hopefully Zoom or some sort of platform where you're allowed to see faces, kind of like Scott talked about, it's important to kind of get that visual. Mm -hmm. um, and just like the classroom, you want to build in time for students to share out their thoughts, their what they're thinking about, how they're making sense of the content that you're providing. Um, so, you know, it looks like maybe everyone on mute and then you pose some sort of question and someone raises their hand and kind of talks through and then let that marinate, let that bounce around for a little bit so that students are really getting their thoughts out there. Because that's the issue when it comes to online learning is the ability to share how you're making sense of the content. Right. Um, and hopefully, I haven't seen a platform to do this, but like, Sending into breakout groups would be awesome, and I think there are probably are some. I just haven't haven't explored uh, so Zoom, Zoom actually does that, where you can get into breakout rooms. Yeah. Because um, I was going to say that was one of the questions that we talked about before. Like, how do you uh, how do you enhance things beyond the platform? I think the ability to go from big groups, especially in high schools, where you may have um, a lot of people in the class, where you want to get into smaller groups. So that that's really a, a tool um, and a piece of functionality, which I think is pretty helpful to allow that small group um, aspect of being in a class. Well, yeah, it really you, takes away the, the stress of having to perform in front of everyone. Right. And you know what's amazing, too, is that all of these tools, and, you know, we're using Zoom right now, is that, uh, you know, the nice thing about tools like Zoom is that you can share your screen. And so that must, that's got to be marvelously uh, impactful in that, you know, I remember when I went back, you know, this is going back a few years, you know, like maybe the three of us, but um, I remember, especially when I was at the high school or college level, I was very fond of recording lectures. And I would use a small cassette tape recorder, record the lecture, and then when I would go home on my, oh my God, my IBM Selectric typewriter, which I was, I was lucky enough there was one in my house, I would type the notes up and that repetitiveness of, of, of typing those notes up helped me retain the information. And in, in, in this online 21st century technology model, you know, obviously you can see the notes, things can be recorded, it helps with, with, with retention. So there's a lot of things, frankly, that makes it a much more vibrant experience. And then, so how does that play out then? Let's say, for example, you have 20, I'll just throw a number out there. Let's say you have 20 students who are, are, are participating in a kind of Zoom educational model with 20 different people, because Zoom you know, supports, I think, up to 50. I think up to 50. Yep, 49 videos. 49 videos, yeah. 49 at one time where you can see them. A lot of people, a lot of people. A lot of people. So how, does, so how does that play out in terms of um, how much control does a teacher have? I, I think I'm kind of saying this is kind of a softball because I think I know the answer. But in terms of the, the, the teacher who's controlling the session, in terms of, you know, the, 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 I, I assume you can, you can mute everyone. 
you can prevent, you know, people from, obviously when someone asks a question, they can either type the question via chat or can ask it verbally. How is that managed uh, properly? And give us a sense of that, Shane, typically in your uh, uh, experience. Yeah, um, so I've been fortunate enough to have my students have workbooks. So they all have workbooks at home or the ones that remembered to bring them. Um, so it's usually like, hey, we're all pacing ourselves at the same time. Um, I also have a uh, document camera. So I'm able to show the students what I'm looking at on my desk, which mm -hmm. is the workbook that they have as well. Um, and, in, and we'll walk through a few of the questions, a few of like the discovery tasks, send them hopefully out into the breakout groups, kind of what Scott talked about. Um, and then get them thinking, get them going over it, and then coming back together and kind of showing them how it's done on, or at least showing how I do it. Ideally, if other students had document cameras, I could put their work on the whole screen and students could walk me through like how they're making sense of that problem. Right. Um, interesting, I think an important question that I'm sure a lot of parents watching this video um, podcast would ask is that, what kind of lessons or tips would you give that prospective parent that, hey, you know what, I do want my children to participate in this because there's really a lot of great goodness that, um, that can come from it. I mean, I've spent the last two weeks doing a number of different uh, podcasts uh, focusing on that topic from a work from home standpoint. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but learning at home, especially in an online orientation, there are, I'm sure there are tips and, 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 and lessons you can impart to the audience here, uh, Shane, in terms of here are the kind of things that a parent wants to think about, uh, even outside the, just, not just the hardware piece, but the, the setup in the home, you know, where you want to put this, privacy, making sure the kids, are, the kids are not disturbed and they don't have a lot of distractions. How, what, what are you, the things that you typically recommend to parents who are embarking on this? Uh, especially for younger parents, um, I would just recommend being a learner with them. So if you have the time, if you are fortunate enough not to be working the whole day, if you could sit down with them and be a learner with them, that's going to go, that's going to really increase the, the content that they get. Um, asking questions, asking them why, how did they do that? Uh, if you can't spend the time with them, have them kind of go over what they covered. Um, mm -hmm. And again, be, be super, super inquisitive about what, what they did that day. Um, if you don't know something or your child doesn't know something, research with them. Teach them those skills that we use on a daily basis um, to make sure that we, we're getting it right or we're getting our content right. Right. I wonder if that matters how much on the kid or the age group because I was asking my 16-year-old uh, earlier and his advice was, Mom, Dad, you're, you're asking me too many questions now that you're at home. Like, you want to be too involved. He's like, leave me alone. Like, let me do my stuff. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot as a teacher too. <laughs> So Scott, let, let's talk about Logitech's role in all of this because, you know, as I mentioned to you before, before we began the uh, podcast, and I've been a big fan of Logitech personally because their technology, it's, it's a great brand. And I don't mean that in a very self-serving manner uh, from a Logitech standpoint, but, you know, it's a, it, the uh, brand has been very, very powerful, high quality products, you know, tip, very innovative products, products, by the way, that are ergonomically beautifully designed. I just got my hands on a sample was sent to me of your new, um, it's, a, it's they've been out for a while, but Logitech has now jumped into it. It's a charging stand that you can charge your Apple Watch and uh, your uh, an iPhone, actually two phones at the same time. It's, it's, a, it's a wireless launching pad. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautifully designed product. And Logitech has always had that type of um, aesthetic um, part of its brand DNA. How does Logitech look at this category? you know, from, from a broad standpoint and give us a little flavor in terms of, um, 
you know, how does it embrace the category and maybe give us a little bit of feeling for where do you see the category going from a technology standpoint? Well, I think it's probably a couple areas. One is um, on the core communication side. So we're basically enabling the remote communication. So I would say <clears throat> critical if you want to communicate with your school that you need to be able to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, and Logitech has invested a lot in webcams, which I, I think, you know, people are probably saying, well, you know, a lot of my computers have a camera built in, which of course they do, but it's a $2 camera. So it's yeah. only going to be so good. Whereas uh, part of what we're trying to do is we're saying, all right, if you're using this every day, then you might want to spend between, let's say, 40 and up to $200 to get the absolute best experience for something you're having every day. I'm using a product right now here called the Logitech Brio, which is a 199 4K camera. Yes. That's what I'm using, by the way. That's what I'm popular. using as well. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Um, yeah. The other thing I'd say is, is uh, you know, having good audio quality, especially if using something all day. So something that might be uh, comfortable, but also something that may not be bothering people around the house. So, of course, you can use an AirPod or Buds. I'm using a Logitech Zone headset right now, which I've been using a lot at home just because um, I use the AirPods a lot. But for eight hours a day, I just want something that's a little more comfortable sure. um, and something that's charged all day. So I would say focusing on the hearing. And the uh, and being seen, and then and then we have other products specifically for education, like we have uh, keyboards and covers for uh, for iPads, working closely with Apple to make sure that they fit together. We're doing stuff that's designed for Google around keyboards and mice that are ergonomic, and uh, and as you said, I think we focused a lot on the end user experience to make sure if you're using this stuff every day, um, how do you make sure it works for you and keeps you healthy? Right. Well, and you know what's amazing is that. We've all been watching the news probably nonstop for the last uh, uh, two or three weeks. And the, the entire daily news infrastructure in terms of the way news is broadcast today has completely changed because, you know, you have these, you know, multi-million dollar studios that are in New York or Los Angeles and multiple cities around the country. And they're probably they're literally ghost towns. I mean, they're, they're probably being used as control centers. But most of that video now is being done remotely out of uh, the um, out of the homes of many of the newscasters. And you can always tell you know, who's using a very high quality camera or who's using that $2 integrated camera in the web, in the webcam. Uh, so you've got that dynamic. And the other dynamic I've noticed is that it's brought audio to the, to the, um, the forefront because you mentioned uh, Scott, that audio is a big deal. I mean, it really is an important from an experience standpoint, because when you're using the microphone that's built into a, um, uh, either into a, uh, into a, um, uh, display of a, of a, of a um, laptop, you know, it's typically not going to be very high quality. And that, to me, you know, is a pretty important element. It's not just about the, 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 the broadcast quality, but it's really more about, you know, you know can I retain all the information because I'm not missing a word? Is a word garbled? So I absolutely believe that, you know, using, you know, some, you know spending $100 or $150 or a couple of hundred dollars if you can swing that on a really good um, headset is actually a big deal. Yeah, we add to that. It's not only the fidelity, it's the fatigue. Yes. Um, so there are studies that show that even if you can hear someone, if the audio is not as good, um, especially in the audio side, that you can get kind of really tired. And that's important for students, too, whether you know, we're worried about them getting enough sleep and retaining all the information. So if, if you're having if they're having a strain to hear, then they're just not going to learn as much because they're going to be fatigued. So having having really high quality audio, um, both on the side of the student, but also the teacher, probably even more important where they hear you very well. In fact, one of the things that we uh, we just announced last week that we were giving away uh, free webcams and headsets to teachers. Yes. Um, I would say like, uh, like all good things like toilet paper and hand sanitizer, we, we got an overwhelming <laughs> amount of interest within a, literally a day. So we had, to, we had to stop doing it, but I think it was something that we're trying to do to contribute to making the, 
you know, allowing teachers to be able to communicate better with their students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, our principal sent out that that application and our, our whole staff was thrilled to get that. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah, that's, 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 that's terrific. Let me just give you, before in the couple of minutes we have left in the podcast, um, Shane, where do you think this is going? And, and actually, before I ask that question, here's a question I want to ask you. And you may, you may be aware of this. Are there any studies that have done uh, that are scientific that says a student who's taught in an online environment tends to perform better academically from a, from a, from a grading standpoint versus the traditional, you know, <laughs> hundred year old model that we've kind of grown up with. I, I don't know of any studies. Um, I can't say off the top of my head, but I would imagine um, we would probably see similar results as what we see in the classroom around, um, you know, those students that are self-motivated, the students that can focus really a lot of their attention on the schoolwork will probably perform better than those that don't in either online or in person. Right. Yeah. I've so seen some studies by the, the Khan Academy, which they focus a lot on the flipped mm -hmm. classroom where you, you learn over video and then you get together by teaching. That one, one of the things that the remote teaching can give you a better, an opportunity to do better is that typically when you're in a traditional classroom, you have students that have a variety of different um, capabilities, right? So you know, oftentimes you need, in order to bring everyone along, you may have to you know, uh, teach down to maybe a lowest common denominator. If someone's really farther ahead, they need to wait a little bit. Whereas I think one of the opportunities with online is they have the opportunity to maybe study at their own pace and learn certain things. Then you get back together and the, the, the kids who are maybe a little bit ahead, they can actually teach the, the kids who are not as far behind. So I think it's an opportunity maybe to redo things and make it exciting not only for the for, you know, for all for learners of all different capabilities. That's that's one ability to change. So before we sign off, let me just ask you this. One. I want to get your answer to this question. Where do you think this is all going? I mean, meaning that the, uh, you know, knock wood, the situation hopefully will be over in, in a month. I'm an optimist, but hopefully we'll get past it. But I just, you know, there's a lot of things, and there's a lot been written about this, obviously, in the media and, and reported on the media that, you know, we're going to emerge out of this situation as, as a strong country, obviously, but I think there are going to be fundamental changes. I mean, they're already talking about how the, for example, how the trade show industry is going to change pretty dramatically. Um, the work from home model, where companies, some companies were really into it, some companies were dabbling. And I assume there's going to be a number of companies that walk away from this situation. Hey, you know what? I, we can have our employees work at home in a very highly productive manner and not miss a beat. Um, let me pose that question to you from a, from a, um, a study at home, learn from home um, model. Where do you think, Scott, do you think, you know, a, a, as we go through this situation, where do you think we'll, we'll come out from this after this is all over? I, th I think it'll change things from the small to the big. On the small side, it could be, um, when you have kids at home that are sick, mm -hmm. maybe instead of missing class, um, they can be able to join in. I, I had a son who had a, he had a don't concussion. Tell, don't, don't tell kids that because now they're not going to be able to do the Ferris Bueller thing, which is a reference that most <laughs> well, of the kids Sure, for a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you an example for my son with that. He, he was out for a number of weeks and uh, he literally just couldn't go to school. I think it's the opportunity now that he could go into school remotely and not have to be there. Um, I think there are a lot of kids that may benefit from that. I would say it may also open up people's minds now where instead of having one school with one teacher with a small classroom, maybe you take the best teachers that specialize. And just like we, you know, we watch TV online and we watch people who are the best for millions. Maybe right. you can have the very best teachers teach millions. And then you break out into smaller groups where people individually helps them. And then finally, I would say, I was talking to my son earlier who's in high school and he was saying, you know what, after this experience, 
maybe they're going to be people who want to study for college like this. Kind of like I said earlier, where you think about college today, it's super expensive. Oh, yeah. People are in a lot of debt and not everyone can afford it. So if we can have a great experience online and really democratize it for lots of other oh, people, I think it could open up maybe I college for people in the U.S. and the world. So that's super exciting. Oh, no, this could certainly be a driver in terms of keeping the, the school of higher edu of uh, college education much more um, much more aggressively than it's being ma managed right now because, as we know, a college education, especially if you go to a private school, is crazy from an from a expense standpoint. Shane, your answer to that question, how do you think things are going to pan out after we get through this? I see two major changes. First, I see teachers being more innovative um, around implementing more online and or um, online resources into the classroom. Uh, this has really forced a lot of teachers to think differently about how they access their students. And then I think hopefully this changes the structure of education. Um, this whole nine to three is, is really outdated, like Scott mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm hoping to see some school districts or some states really change the way they structure school, especially at the high school level. Well, Shane, that's great. Thank you for the, uh, participating in today's podcast. Scott, thank you for your time. Shane, you're doing fantastic work. You know, you're on the front lines, and this really is a, uh, a terrific endeavor that I think that is going to pay big, big dividends, not just right now, but over time. And Scott, thanks for all the hard work that you guys are doing at Logitech because, again, you know, it's kind of like the peanut butter, Reese's peanut butter thing. You know, great teachers, great technology, and the output is a, is, a, uh, is a great outcome for everybody. But thank you for your time today in today's podcast. Uh, thanks to the More Insights and Strategy audience for listening to today's podcast. Um, please follow us on our social media partner list. That's Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week. Mm -hmm.